Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and this episode is brought to you by patrons Gabriella Rosales, Jake Inslee, Josh Castleman, Nick Lane, and Tony Gaspationi. So today we have Adam Epstein on the show. He is an editor. He's currently editing Saturday Night Live. So Adam edits a lot of the pre-taped segments you see on SNL. He literally gets the footage like Friday night, and he has to edit them by the time the show airs on Saturday night. Live from New York. Yeah, Saturday night. Saturday night. It's insane. It's a really good talk. I was actually having kind of a funky day today, and after we talked to him, I was like, man, filmmaking is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's a wild ride where everyone is working at the height of their powers to make something really funny and potentially really stupid. And Adam has a ton of awesome insight, tips and tricks on editing 10 seasons of the show. They were rather nine seasons of the show headed into his 10th. So he's picked up a lot of skills, whether they're people skills or ways in which he can streamline his edit to give it the biggest bang for his buck and sell those jokes to the biggest comedy show of all time. This episode is a real treat for comedy fans and people who love editing, uh, which I think is probably a lot of our listeners, so stay tuned. But before we get into our conversation with Adam, I'm dying to know, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, Matt, I'll give you a real quick story. I have, in the past few weeks, been offered a lot of different jobs and job opportunities, and I was super excited because I pitched for through my production company on this commercial the other day and I got the call from the production company. The head of production said, hey, Oren, you're on the shortlist, which means you're one of the three directors that the agency is considering to have direct this commercial. Let's get on the phone with them. And then right before I got on the phone with them, he said, hey, we made a mistake. You're not actually one of the three. They've narrowed it down to like around 10 directors. They don't have the three yet. So they want to talk to everyone first. I'm like, okay, so out of 10, I got a one out of 10 shot of getting this commercial. Um, so we get on the phone, we talk, everything, it goes well. I kind of, I see the script, I share my thoughts. And by that night, this is like Monday night, they decide that I'm going to be one of the three that's up for this commercial. So then I work on this treatment for the next two days. I make this amazing, what I think is like the best treatment it's I've ever made. Treatment. It's like a 34 page treatment. I work with like an image specialist. I work with a layout specialist. I feel like I've kind of cracked the code and the idea of how to make this things sing i like photoshop all these custom images i'm like super stoked on this and then two days later i have a call with the agency i present to them my treatment i walk them through it i tell them my idea uh and everyone is like super stoked on it all the people the production company send me a text after the call saying like oren you just pitched the hell out of that like that was amazing we're excited and so at this point i still know i'm one of the three directors right so that night the head of production at the company calls me. He's like, hey, Oren, they're going to recommend you to be the director for the agency. This is on Thursday. And supposedly we're going to find out who gets the job on Friday. So on Friday morning, I'm like, well, it's pretty much like I have the job, I think. Uh, and when do you shoot? The the job is scheduled to shoot like a week. Yeah, from the job is scheduled to shoot like nine days yeah, after so that Friday. Decide. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that next Friday, there's like this whole visual effects component to this commercial which is part of how I pitched myself. I was like, oh, you know, I'll do the VFX too and everything. So I'm like already in Cinema 4D, like rendering 3D graphics and making all these things and testing out lighting and sh- and starting to share some of these renders with um, the production company and crew. I'm talking to the production designer I work with a lot about how we're going to build these props and stuff. And I send them to the head of production. He's like, oh, I'm going to share these with the agency. They're awesome. So this is Friday, right? 
And then at the end of Friday, they're like, oh, they haven't quite decided on the director, which makes me a little iffy, but whatever. But, you know, you're still the recommended. They're just going to tell us on Monday, make it official. So over the weekend, they send us, he sends them these renders I've made. They're like super stoked. They send us some new scripts and tweaks on Sunday. They're like, oh, we might have to shoot a few additional things, which is fine, whatever. Um, And I'm, you know, hanging out with my parents for the weekend. I'm like, yeah, I have this cool job. And at the same time, I'm up for this other job with this like really famous celebrity comedian that shoots uh, on the East Coast that shoots the same week. And I'm panicking, like, how can we get that job to shoot in the beginning of the week? You really need both. Like, it would be so great to be able to double dip and make yeah, it happen. everyone agrees like having the celebrity on my reel would be awesome. But it's like would shoot the day after Labor Day. So I'm trying to get one job to shoot on Friday, the other job to shoot on Monday. It's like this crazy thing. I have like these two amazing jobs. They both pay great. They're both super awesome for my reel and I'm super stoked for them. Um, and everyone is like kind of agreeing to play nice with each other and work with each other because it's for two different companies. And then Monday rolls around and I get an email from the one company saying, hey, that celebrity job, they just decided to push to October maybe if it even still happens. And like 15 minutes later, I get a text from the production company saying, hey, they killed the whole commercial that, that you made the treatment for. Um, There's just some miscommunication between the client and the agency and the client has decided they don't want to shoot it anymore. So thank you, but <laughs> you got nothing. Yeah. Um, so now like this, all this work and all this excitement, I mean, obviously you don't get paid for any of it. On the contrary, we like the production company has hired like a person to help me with the layout of the treatment and another person to help me out with like the images. So it's like just a ton of work. I'm excited. I'm like talking to everyone about it. I mean, how is it not mine when the agency is telling the client to hire me? And so I just thought, you know, obviously I was bummed um, because, you know, they say you never have the job. I mean, you know, we've both had jobs. I think I've had a lot more jobs where I actually have even shot the commercial and then it gets cut after the shoot. So this has happened to me before and I have to remind myself of that because like a couple of months ago, I was up for like four jobs that were all within like the same week or two and I was panicking about how I'm going to juggle them all and then they all went away. Yeah. And then it happened to me again like last month. Like, we got these five jobs where you got, where you're up for. So yeah, like you're, you're going to get one of them and then, yeah. Yeah, but I guess at the end of the day, like, I have this awesome treatment I made. Sure. I'm pretty excited about, like, the concept I came up with. I have all these 3D renders as this proof of concept. So it's, like, just something I'll put in my back pocket. And if maybe, you know, some of those resources I pulled or images or something will be good for something else in the future. And I was even thinking of, like, just putting putting it on my website. I was thinking of adding, like, a treatments page to my website. Do you think that's crazy? I don't know. Giving yeah, don't away know. too much? I don't... I mean, I can think of a couple cool directors who do that. Yeah. No, I think maybe go for it. It's better when you have the treatment and then the finished spot. I, I, I know for sure our listeners are stoked on that idea. Right. And that, I think, that's who basically who it would be for. More like that, a just shoot it thing than a yeah. Orin Kaplan thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little tricky with brands and stuff. But yeah, I can think... Like, that's how I learned to write treatments. And seeing other people's yeah. treatments. Yeah. Yeah. And those treatments are, you totally see why you give someone that job there. The, you see the evolution of the presentation game of like how polished a treatment has to look now compared to what it used to be. It used to make them in Word, you know? Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. I mean, I think, look, t- to walk away and say, oh, I just did the best treatment of my career. Like, 
yeah, of course you want to win the job, but like that's pretty cool. That's pretty special. Yeah, and I guess I feel like I did win the job with the agency. Yeah, you did. I it, just never did it and never got paid for anything. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, well, Matt, you are way too sick right now <laughs> to, <laughs> to tell me what you've been working on this week. So uh, we're, we're recording another episode in a few days, so hopefully you're better by then. And you can fill us in on everything you've been doing because you've been doing a ton of awesome stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm sick from. Shout out to the PPS group and all the bourbon from Kentucky Lotteries. It's weird. At airports. You know, we have like uh, some statistics on where our listeners are from. I don't think there's like a ton of from from Kentucky. Yeah, but I know all of the listeners personally. Anyway, before we get into our conversation with Adam, I just wanted to remind people that we do have a Patreon. Uh, The Patreon page is patreon.com slash justshootitpod. It's a place where you can uh, chip in a little bit to help this podcast keep going. Give us a, a few bucks to help pay our editors, help throw live events. Uh, for instance, our next live event, which might have already happened by the time this airs, yeah. the patrons will be able to come in early and kind of hang out with us and meet people there. And I, we're trying to come up with a, a lot more kind of fun opportunities for patrons. Uh, but even if you're not a patron, we still love you and we still want to hang out with you. So please uh, email us and talk to us, rate us on iTunes, interact with us, do whatever you want. Uh, we really are enjoying this show. Uh, so without further ado, let's talk to Adam Epstein. Hello. Thanks hey. for having me. Uh, you have been editing at Saturday Night Live for a thousand years, right? Something like that. Yeah, I just uh, this last season was my ninth, which is very uh, kind of surreal. And I'm going to, in theory, be starting the 10th uh, in a couple weeks. And um, it's a very uh, bizarre place to uh, to do anything kind of film related. It's it's, it's a weird and unique uh, spot to put it mildly, but a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I don't know. you're in the major leagues of competitive comedy editing. Sure, right? Like yes, yes, like, yes. It, it doesn't get more high stakes or notable, right? I guess so. Like we, I, when I've talked about it with uh, like my friends that I've worked with on the show before, it's it's every once in a while it's nice to kind of take a step back and you know even if something's very silly to kind of have the realization of like okay so we are doing you know technically the like the biggest budget comedy shorts on the planet I think yeah, in history right yeah, yeah. Um, and some might say that's a waste of money but you know whatever <laughs> yeah I'm trying to think of a bigger budget comedy short a lot of the the kind of budget necessity comes from the fact of like the, the quick turnaround like there's no way like you have to be paying just from a straight like you know production standpoint you have to be paying usually like uh, you know either two crews or like there's an insane amount of overtime that goes into it and we have usually kind of carte blanche as far as we need, you know, a hundred extras and we have to crash a car and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, yep, cool, great. And they haven't said no to stuff, you know, within, within reason. So that's right. nice. That's awesome. I would argue that there might be some comedy commercials, like a Liam Neeson montage of him doing all sorts of crazy things. Sure. True. That True. might be a slightly higher budget. I don't know. <laughs> maybe not. I, I knew of you before Matt told me that he somehow met you because I had seen the promo of your editing workshop. Oh god, that's embarrassing. That you did and I like could not figure out not how to for this audience. I could not figure out how to pirate it for the life of me. So congratulations. We are, my pleasure. We are not at the <laughs> SNL after party, so we, that is the cool thing to drop right now. <laughs> Highly debatable, but thank you. I mean, like I I did that um initially cuz um, one of my uh, best friends, Alex Bono, who's the the DP that I worked with for years at SNL. Oh, he did a workshop too. Yes. So he did um cinematic 
cinematic lighting and uh, cinematography workshop the summer before I did mine. And uh, it did really well and people really loved it. And basically he would, you know, told me that, okay, a lot of people were asking about like in the context of SNL, you know, that's so cool how you guys are producing this, but you know, how do you, how are you turning this around mm-hmm. so fast and, and like the amount of polish? Did he write that article about <clears throat> the Wes Anderson parody? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. On the, his um, the, Midnight uh, Coterie yeah, of Sinister, Sinister Intruders. Yeah. 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 I remember reading that article. A friend sent it to me and literally it made my palms sweat. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was because that, you liked it? I don't know. No, what because makes it's very tense. Sweat. It stressed the, me out yep. so much. The, the way that you make that show is so bonkers. Yeah, it's an irresponsible way to uh, to make television. People always say, like, well, you know, it's a live show and you guys do film pieces, so that doesn't make sense. It's Saturday Night Live and not taped or whatever. And uh, But, you know, that is true. But at the same time, like, the way that we're working there is as, you know, close to kind of an, an improvisational last second gun to your head uh, you know, style of working as possible. We're, we're normally like finishing or, you know, delivering to the control room like 10 or 15 minutes before it's on air. Um, yeah, it's like a 24 hour film festival every yeah, week. Yep. Pretty much. Um, but, but at broadcast standards. Yeah. Ideally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so when I saw your thing, I mean, look, now there's like masterclass, right? Like, well, that's what, that's what I was going to say. Like, these, yeah, yeah. We, a, a, any, Aaron Sorkin is doing this. Right. I remember at the time, like talking to like Alex and I were talking about it. We we're like, God, oh, it would be so interesting to convince, you know, people like with actual name recognition uh, to do this because like there is an audience. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if it was just like, that was kind of the zeitgeist and just like someone smarter realized like, Oh, we could, you know, make bank by having, uh, Ron Howard. You know, yeah. And then like Steph Curry talk about <laughs> basketball and like, like, no, but so when I saw that you were doing, I was like this, you know, you are the guy to talk about this stuff, I guess. So now what I asked Matt before you came here, was like, I wonder if he'll give away all the secrets <laughs> that I was trying to find on BitTorrent for months um, when I you mean, were doing your thing. I wish I could say that there are secrets, uh, involved and, I mean, that was one of the things like when, when I was doing that, those seminars, it was less about, um, you know, here's a great set of keyboard shortcuts or, you know, <laughs> right. here's uh, some broad technique. Um, a lot of it was talking about like how to to best work with people in, in like in really tense situations and, you know, how to understand like the place that ego holds and like how to kind of push back and like the give and take and understanding like your place in the context mm-hmm. uh, of a production and um and the so main you mean as the editor relative to a producer and a director yeah and and especially at snl because like truthfully the only like the only reason that it works from like a film production standpoint or truthfully from like like every aspect of that show is because like everyone there for the most part has worked together on a ton of things and they all have faith in each other's skills and you usually develop kind of like a shorthand language um like you know when you work with anyone for long enough where something that would normally take x amount of time you have just like this kind of backlog of of experiences together that you can you know quickly be like okay hey remember when we did and they're like oh yeah yeah yeah. okay how about this yep great cool and then you're moving on and you learn how to not be like too precious about stuff but we'll like while still finding out how to 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 be not too precious without being sloppy and that's kind of like that's the thing that you really learn there. And then when you go and work on like a show or like a movie where you actually have like a normal schedule with time, then you can, you know, 
you, you have those muscles that you, that you developed at SNL as far as like being able to be fast and, and get something to a place quickly, but then you can actually like go for a walk and think about it and like mm-hmm. have conversations. Sleep so, on it for a second. Yeah. Um, so having that, like working in like a terrible way like that allows you to then kind of like a, be a little sharper when you're in like a, a more you know, normal environment, I guess. So that's what your seminar was about. I thought it was going to be like, you see this shot looks kind of crappy. You put magic bullet looks on it and it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's definitely, I had to fill a 10 hour day. So there was definitely like <laughs> definitely a fair amount of stuff. I did a lot of sound design stuff. Oh, um, cool. cause I, I, to me, that's almost more important than picture. Even in comedy. Oh, especially in comedy. How so? Because you can save or make a joke. Um, art sound effects. They're, they're very, very important. <laughs> Just like understanding, um, basically like if something's working like with your eyes closed almost from like a rhythmic perspective, mm-hmm. then not saying picture is not important because it obviously is. But if you can like close your eyes and listen to it and it works like you're, you're most of the way there. Mm-hmm. In in my opinion, I, I just think audio is, is so, so important in a way that like, especially when people are starting out uh, or like, well, what camera should I get or what this and that? I'm like, I don't like who, who gives a shit. Use your iPhone, like record good sound and get like a production designer and don't shoot it in like a white box apartment. And like, that'll put you ahead of like 90% of the people that are fixated. And like, should I get like the, the F 1.4 or the 1.8? You're like, that makes no difference. Yeah. 1.4. I mean, you might as well. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's a very important, it's like a reasonably priced lens. So production designer though, I would, it's weird. Would you choose production designer before like gaffer? Or is that just kind of like a random position you threw out there? Yeah, just just from like a um, understanding, like the stuff that's in front of the camera is more important than like the camera that you're shooting. So like Alex, the DP that, that I worked with uh, at SNL, he would always talk about how like people would give him like all this credit for like, oh my God, that looked amazing and looked great. He's like, here's what I did. I came to set and I set up basically like a fill light and the set was so amazing mm-hmm. and they had thought it out so well that like I, like it was impossible to fuck up. And so then you realize it's like, just the importance of like a prop master and, and the team sure. behind that. And the same, I mean, same with editorial. We're like, wow, that really looked great and sounded great. I'm like, you know, I didn't, I didn't trash it, but at the <laughs> I same wasn't time, there. <laughs> yeah, at the same time, like they, I had, I had, I was very lucky. I had, you know, amazing stuff to work with mm-hmm. uh, from people that really knew what they were doing. And I mean, that's, that's the whole, <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. Right. When Paul Briganti was on, he talked to us about like, the wig people like how the attention to detail yeah. that they put into stuff and i i've definitely been the victim of like really crappy looking wigs um, yeah and it, you're right like sometimes like a whole i feel like a whole scene doesn't work because like the wig just looks so bad there's like nothing we can do about it yeah we'll we'll get notes every once in a while from hair and makeup um because they'll see like a piece that'll play a dress mm-hmm. um and they'll like very rare because they're so good, but be all, they're also working on like just this insane accelerated schedule too. So we'll sometimes get a note like, Hey, could you maybe do just like a little bit of painting out mm-hmm. on, on like the, you know, the forehead line and like here right, kind of right. flaps up a bit. And so we'll go and like, you know, kind of massage around that. Um, but no, it's, it's true. All those, it's, it's all like the small details that like, if you don't know any better, like you're not thinking about like, well, why did that just feel right. full? To be fair, also, like, I, we know companies that make their bread and butter on removing wig lines from TV shows where they had time. Yeah. It's just a thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess to, just to your point of, like, when you have people working on things in front of the camera, right? you get to make 
like the best things that look great without having to like fix everything in post that it definitely helps and you could sometimes like i would get, get questions from from people either when they're starting out or like they send me a sample like hey what would you do with like this this footage how could you like save these highlights or fix this audio and oftentimes you're like well you could i guess do some noise reduction or do the but like you like you're right that footage is blown. Like there's, there's, <laughs> right. yeah. you're starting in a pretty bad place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Well, in, in terms of just the process for you, for the most part, you're not worried about any of that sweetening, right? Like you're mostly just, you know, cutting the actual project. Or are you doing to an extent? More? I, I'm, I've, I try to spend a lot of time up front, um, at SNL, um, like really getting, uh, like ambiences, and if it's something where, you know, we're doing where it's like a, a, tra- a trailer or promo style type of thing, uh, understanding like, like sub bass sort of vibes, um, mm-hmm. as opposed like the difference between, you know, cuts exactly the same, but the difference between a cut with like a really full low end on it. Um, and you know, even mm-hmm. subtle punctuations on like kind of trailer hits mm-hmm. to, to like to generate sort of like a false pace basically. Um, and that being dry is it's night and day. And, and a lot of times people don't under, like, you don't even have to speed up the, the cuts themselves. If you feel that like, there's like a propulsive audio bed underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, that's a, you know, a good way where you need to make something exciting quickly. Um, so you have, you know, like a, a, a tool bag of X sound effects that you just, you know, work in this mm-hmm. situation. People have asked me like, Oh, well, what do you use? Like, where do I get good sound effects or, or stuff like that? And I, w- I was lucky. I, I worked at like a commercial house years ago and they had an intern for the summer. And like this guy's job was basically, this is when everything was on CD and he spent the entire summer just ripping and cataloging in iTunes, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CDs. And when I left this place, like I bought this, you know, at the time, which was huge, like a 500 gig hard drive and just like copied everything and said, by and i've used like within like that library and i've like amassed stuff over the years but probably so you know thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sound effects i've probably used the same like 80 <laughs> like right. like five percent of that yep, like but but because i know and that's kind of it's it's lazy at times but like i know in this circumstance like this works right. this helps and yeah but with sound effects like 90 percent of the work is like figuring out how to find them yeah, I have this friend Blake, you know, a friend of ours. He used to work at a trailer house also, and uh, like sometimes I'll text him. I'll be like, "Hey, I need that sound where it's like a suction and then like it hits and like yeah. he'll be like, oh, yeah, fire yeah. symbol sure. five ml, you know, moss yeah. landing." I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, you, found it. Thanks. You know, you're in like a really kind of like I don't know if it's a good or a dark space when you're like watching something on TV and you're like, "Oh, that's Etolo hit number seven. Um, well, so. Uh, it would be cool if we can maybe like dissect your process on SNL from like the beginning to air, kind of how we did with Paul on the production side. Sure, sure, sure. Um, which, by the way, if you guys haven't listened to our Paul Briganti episode, yeah, the latest one he talked about SNL and um, yeah, it's really pre, good. Pre and post SNL. He's oh, also yeah. just just a nice guy. He really talked to us about like from the table read to production, and he touched on editing a little bit. But I guess when do you? get the script and again if you guys want the backstory listen to paul's but i get the script uh after table reads uh wednesday usually around like eight or nine o'clock p.m yes 
and uh, so they're doing, you know, they're in pre-pro all Thursday. They start they start pre-pro like late Wednesday nights after table read, and then Thursday and sometimes Friday is nothing but but pre-production. And depending on like the piece, you know, because they're they're going from scratch. They're they're getting permits and locations or building crazy sets really fast and you know extras truly everything and so sorry just for our right-leaning friends that don't watch snl yeah so every saturday night there's like a live show and there's yes. pre-taped segments right yes yeah and so so the the as much as i love the the film pieces like at their core they really serve like the true purpose of allowing uh, scene changes to happen like during the live show because it's it's a it's really controlled chaos and it's one of one of my favorite things about it, being at the show is being able to every once in a while when we're not like slammed go down and like watch uh, the the show actually come together just because the way that uh, the people who work on the floor move sets mm-hmm. and just like the timing of it, it it's unbelievable um, but having these you know two to four minute uh, film breaks allows like some of like the, the larger set or the larger makeup uh, transformations to happen. So they, they serve like a very specific purpose. And is the length very specific? Like we need two and a half minutes for this uh, act or for this scene change? Sort of. And um, stagehand comes by and he's like, don't trim it anymore. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's weird. Like we don't have, we're lucky in the sense like we don't have, it's not like if, you know, if I'm working on a, a 30 second commercial and it is, you know, 30 seconds and zero frames, we don't have like hard fast times that we have to hit. But what, what normally happens between dress and air, uh, you know, they'll be like, Hey, if we could lose like 20 seconds, that would be great. Um, and then sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't, and sometimes it plays huge and they're like, okay, well we're, this is, yeah, don't, it's, this it's is good. good. Don't, don't, don't touch that. Don't you just set the speed to 107 yeah, 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 or something? Yeah, yeah, And just pitch shift everything down <laughs> yeah. a bit, and then you're fine. Um, um, and how much time is there between dress and the actual show? Uh, so depending on when... And uh, dress is dress rehearsal. It's the day of the show, right? Yeah, so dress rehearsal starts um, like around 8 o'clock, and it always runs usually about like 40 minutes longer than the normal show would go because they, they cut a handful of sketches and sometimes some of the, the film pieces too. Um, but depending on like when our piece runs in the show, like we ideally, like in my mind, the, the kind of the sweet spot for a film piece is when you like, you know, it's not going to be cut. Um, a lot of people will still be watching is kind of like right after the first live sketch post monologue. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, like the, the digital short spot that like the Lonely Island dudes would usually have. Um, just like prime spot, you know, you're right. fine. Right. Um, so if it airs then between dress and air, you have like two hours ish to, to make changes. But if it's a piece where it's airing like end address, you sometimes have, you know, 40 minutes basically. Right. And we're also doing, um, and when the, the dress rehearsal is also for these pre-taped filmed. Yes. That, clips. The so dress, you're getting feedback on them. Yeah. The dress rehearsal is the first time that Lauren actually sees any of the pre-tapes. And Lauren Michaels is the EP slash final word on yes. or anything creative. On the show. It is, it is his show in the truest sense of the word. Um, and so, yeah, he'll, Lauren and the, and the director of the piece and the writers of the piece and, uh, some of the senior producers, they'll be on the floor, um, and they'll be like watching the monitor and kind of listening to how the audience is reacting. And then from that, and where are you at this point? Depending on how crazed we are, I'm either still up on, so the, the floor, the, the show takes place on the eighth floor and then the writer's offices, and uh, where we are in like production offices are up on 17. So if 
like I I love to be able to if we have time go on the floor and like actually hear the audience react because that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so either either up on seventeen because um, a lot of times like for dress you know we'll have final color back but it's not necessary to mm-hmm. it being finished for dress so I'll still be working on that or uh, working with like our graphics guys to you know get something that we know we want to have a little better for air mm-hmm. be you know kind of be doing that be after it airs or while it's airing basically um and then get feedback there and then just kind of it's a a sprint to the end usually because right. um, we're also doing you know a full 5-1 mix uh in-house and then we're working with the the mill uh this amazing colors uh josh bahoski he does like all our color so we're doing with the outside vendor who's working with like you know the full res material and then uploading um you know everything you Wait, know. i feel like we skipped a whole huge part <laughs> from when you get this to the script to to backtrack uploading to the show so yeah get the script wednesday night um i'm usually because and are you at work yeah so i depending on like what i'm working on like i'm i'm rep by a commercial house uh, ps260 uh they're in in new york and la and they're amazing and that's you know traditional commercial post uh with like ad agencies so if i'm uh i'm oftentimes you know working with them during the week and then because i only have to like technically be at snl like friday Mm -hmm. and saturday um, or if I'm doing, like right now, I'm doing uh, a TV show um, with a couple of people who are writing at SNL uh, over the last couple of years, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider. They were the head writers there uh, two seasons ago. Um, or if I'm doing like a movie, I'll be working on like the movie or the show the first half of the week and then jump over to SNL for Friday and Saturday, basically. Right. It just occurred to me that like the editors on SNL work two days a week Usually. when everyone else is like heads are exploding all week long pretty much yeah it's 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 int- pretty great it's awesome i mean but two insane days i assume yeah it's it's i mean it's non-stop and there are other there are a couple of um like staff editors that don't do the film pieces specifically but they do kind of um promos and stuff promos and show assemblies where you know mm-hmm. for like reruns they it, it i mean they're they're all very talented but but it's more of it's less of like a we're making this thing and more of a, right. we're doing like being very precise about, you know, um, closed captioning and, mm-hmm. and making sure like everything's delivered to network sure. precisely. And, They're helping and, me out with my best of Tracy Morgan DVD. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. God bless them. Depending on, on where I'm at during the week, I'll usually start doing like very kind of soft prep on Thursday, depending on like what the piece is. So I'll talk with uh, the director, uh, the last couple seasons, I've been working with uh, my good friend, really talented dude, uh, Oz Rodriguez. Um, and then before that, uh, my buddy Reese Thomas, uh, who I also worked with on uh, Documentary Now and uh, a feature um, for Lorne. So I'll be talking with them kind of while they're in pre-pro as far as, okay, here's some reference points. Um, you know, here's some music that might work. I start usually trying to do like sound beds really early. Just so Where I do you get music from? Um Usually APM is what we t- t- tend to use mainly. Can you use, like, can you license music? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and oftentimes it uh, it really depends on the piece. I mean, what, what, what we can do for the live show, which is fun, and we've done this a lot, is even though it's a film piece, it's considered, it's considered live. So we could do, you know, five Beatles songs in a row, and mm-hmm. it would air, but it would only air then. Right. And then we'd have to swap out everything for uh, web or for West coast. And then sometimes we've, you know, put a piece right. in, put a piece of music in knowing that like, there's a chance that someone's going to be like, yeah, you can't use that. And then we'll say like, okay, uh, you know, if someone calls it, then sure, we'll swap it out. And if not, 
all right, whatever. Wait, uh, but so you're saying that the music on the West Coast is different than the music on the East Coast sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. N- the last season, it was uh, they were doing live on both coasts uh, simultaneously. Oh, right. um, but yeah, but definitely for Web. Like we had a piece um, a couple seasons ago with Benedict Cumberbatch. It was like a parody of that uh, Ridley Scott, you know, uh, Apple 1984 uh, ad, but it was for like uh, the Kohler cool toilet, right? Very, very <laughs> right. stupid. Um, but where we were, he sits on the toilet, the back, cool way. Yeah, backwards. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and we were using, uh, money for nothing, uh, the dire straits song and it was great. And we're like, you know, if, if Mark Knopfler says we have to pull it down, I guess, you know, we'll pull it down. Um, and for like a while, like just stayed up and then I guess it got around to someone <laughs> and they swapped it out. But that happens even on like, on old, like classic SNL spots, like, I don't know if you remember like Crystal Gravy from like back in the day with like Will Ferrell. It was, it was the, the style of it was like a parody of like Van Halen's right now video, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, I don't know if you remember. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but so then they, so they were using the Van Halen song and that was on there for like years and years and years. And then I don't know, like Sammy Hagar or whoever was like, yeah, you should probably be paying us royalties on this. So they swapped it out, but then someone did a deal. So now it's back oh, good. in there and Schmidt's gay, same thing. Sure. That used to be like a Van Halen song. I guess it's always Van Halen. And they swapped it out and then it was back in. And yeah. Um, that's sorry. crazy. That was so, tangential. No. no so, okay. No. So you're, you're pulling music. Do you have like an assistant editor that's helping you do this stuff? When I first started, uh, no. I would go to set. Uh, I would prep everything and I would go to set and get cards directly from camera and do basically my own syncing and, and like multicamming and organization and just be working like literally like 10 feet from camera. Like with the DIT type mm-hmm. yep. place. Um, which was really fun because like A, you're there and I could just, you know, if if we saw something that like either we missed or like, oh, it'd be cool if we got like an insert of this, I could just talk to my buddy and then we would, we would get it. Um, I haven't done that the last few seasons mainly because uh, it's, it's tiring and just makes the day like way longer. And it's been great to get like some younger blood in there to kind of just, Mm-hmm. see the process and right. and you know so now i'm just like that old asshole who just like i need you to organize things this way and like do it like this and blah 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 blah. and if you want to do like a soft assembly on a scene go for it sounds great um and so are they shooting alexa usually it really varies um, oh, really? more more so than not it's alexa but it, it's always contingent on on the style of the piece um which is it's it's nice in that way I mean, we've used like truly every camera you could possibly think of and oftentimes like we were the first ones that used um like the the red monochrome like when that came out for this piece and we were like we were the first ones to use uh like an alexa mini on tv like all mm-hmm. all this stuff and it's it's been it's been cool to have uh production you know have usually having like a lot of really good relationships with uh, with vendors because right. they know like this is a great case study right like um, kyle mooney did these kind of like man on the street videos that looked like they're shot on like a pd 150 or something oh yeah 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 legit no no those so that's so at snl sort of like sidebar on that there's there's like there's three uh film units basically right. when i started there was just the film unit and uh the lonely island who were tr- like truly their own thing uh, like they would cut their own stuff and they're amazing. Um, and so now there's, uh, the film unit, which is, and none of these are like a or team or B team or anything like that. They're just different units. Um, there's a film unit that I work on. 
Then there's Beast Unit, which is Paul's the director of, and then there's Good Neighbor, which is uh, Kyle and oh, yeah. Beck Bennett and their director, uh, Dave McCary, who's great. He did uh, Brigsby Bear also, if you saw right, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any, any and every camera. Wait, Paul's unit is called Beast Unit? Beast Unit, because it used to be called B Unit, and everyone thought that was lame and like kind of, you know, a bit of a put down. Uh, so they're Beast Unit. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. You Are you guys cutting an Avid? Uh, no, all, all premiere based. Oh, that's crazy. Um, who pushed for that? We switched. We were, that was another kind of early adopter thing. And from that, we like have a, a great relationship with Adobe. Now we switched, uh, like we did one piece on like five, five. And then when they switched over to six, that was all we used mm-hmm. from there on out. Mainly be- CS six or like, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. Or before they went to like the creative cloud, basically. Oh, okay. Um, so pretty early, right? Yeah. 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 And wait, so if you like have a problem with something in Adobe premiere, you can just like call up someone at Adobe and they'll fix it for you. Pretty much. Well, we did, we did oh. one of the first features. Can we, we give out your phone? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, we, we were, we're lucky basically. Cause like it worked, it worked really well for our needs. Cause it's, we didn't really have time for like transcoding was the main reason that, right. that we kind of did it initially. Right just throwing everything at it. And like when we're even now, like when we're shooting, like I'll be working with, you know, native R3D if, if we're shooting red, if it's like a 6k, like that's fine, but we're just doing a down convert basically. But yeah, so we did, I did a feature, uh, for Paramount that Lauren produced with Reese, who's the director at the time, uh, called Staten Island summer that Colin Jost wrote. We did that. We were like, I think the second, this is right when there was like Gone Girl and Deadpool yeah. or um, Hail Caesar were like, really like they're doing a movie in Adobe. And I was, you know, on like the tech blogs, but we're like, we, we already did one of those. Come on. Um, so when we were doing that, like it was interesting to be able to get custom builds like from Adobe cause they were using us as kind of like a Guinea pig. Um, like, oh, this crashed this. And they would look at the project file and be like, all right, try this build. And weren't you like, uh, I need to get an edit out by tonight. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me to install four new builds. I know. The, in retrospect, it was probably not the smartest way to go. And uh, like the show that I'm working on now is, you know, kind of traditional episodic TV. And uh, being back in Avid, um, you know, has its pluses and minuses, but it's definitely... I don't want to say it's more stable, but it like it's it. The things that they both do well, they do better in a way that the other one doesn't. Basically, um, but whatever, it's a fucking tool, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it is that is interesting that you just um, just put all the footage right into Premiere. Yeah, it 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 helps. It I mean, you, we need that for the timeline. The timeline dictates pretty much everything. It dictates camera. It dictates um, you know the it. Dic- really dictates everything so you have like these bins with sound effects and music and you've read the script obviously yep and you've talked to the director and you have some notes and maybe it's a it's a parody of something you've obviously seen that looked at it and then you get the footage and then uh you just start cutting it yeah um when is your first cut done right like when are you kind of like i can go to bed on this one i usually leave friday night at like four or five in the morning so so saturday morning a fair amount of times like the last couple seasons though they've been because this the schedule is so complicated because it's it's totally dependent on uh you know cast schedule and they're doing a million things too like they're doing multiple shoots and they have to be 
you know, back at the stage for rehearsals and blocking on the live show and for fittings and wardrobe and, and, you know, uh, elements for, uh, other, other pieces. And oftentimes like the shoots are on location, so they have mm-hmm. to be driving out to wherever. So we've had a, like a fair amount of shoots that, you know, we're going that didn't wrap camera until like six in the morning, seven in the morning on Saturday. And it goes to air Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I usually leave around like four or five. Um, where I feel like it, it's usually not like a full assembly, depending on, like on four or five a.m. a.m. on okay. on Saturday morning. Just to geek out on your process even a little bit more. Sure. So, are you the type of person that like pulls out like a master shot, like a wide shot, and then just like starts peppering in close-ups? What's I'm just curious because you're cutting comedy very fast. Yeah, you don't get to try every combination because you're edits doing like a couple hours. It, it how re- do you start? It really varies. Like I, I feel like the whole like okay, well here's our establishing wide, and then we're gonna just like get, see what the natural rhythm of that is, and now we're gonna go into coverage. Like that's fine in a pinch. I usually will kind of look at the script and feel where like turns feel like they should happen more, mm-hmm. and kind of be thinking about it mentally before I before I kind of start cutting based on the script and just like what the the kind of ups and downs of the flow of of what's happening feel Mm -hmm. and then oftentimes like i'll talk with oz and he it it, it helps so much working with like with a direct yes working with a director who like truly understands uh you know when like a rhythmic turn should happen Mm -hmm. basically like as opposed to just like well we're gonna cut you know out from the wide and then we're gonna go into like a medium two and then we're gonna go close up where it's 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 good coverage that works but it's not really necessarily motivated by like by the flow of the story by the flow of the script yeah um have you talked to him about your shot list are you when you're reading the script are you thinking like oh i kind of know you have what he's shooting in mind or is it just purely instinctual with what you expect to see it's a bit of both again like so much of it is just you know having worked with the same team for so long um i I usually know the type of coverage that they're getting or if it's something where because one of the things that is simultaneously a blessing and a curse is there's not enough time to do tons and tons and tons Mm -hmm. of takes average Mm -hmm. take you know is usually like uh, say like four to seven, which isn't like nothing. Four to seven takes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on, um, you know, if they're doing, you know, full scenes or if it's, it, it depends so much on the piece. But a, a lot of times too, I'll, I can tell where, you know, here was a specific shot, you know, for the turn basically mm-hmm. where, you know, we're popping out to, you know, a, a profile three shot on everyone's head turn specifically mm-hmm. to then, right. you know, hit the insert with that. So he's really great. And our, our DP, uh, Blake McClure, who's awesome too. Um, he does like uh, AP bio and uh, drunk history and mm-hmm. a bunch, bunch of stuff. Just really talented dude. They, they're, they're just good. And so you can very, if you understand like the rhythm of the thing, you can sort of see very quickly in coverage without having to look at like, because we don't board anything really. Right. It, it feels a lot like good, you know, solid commercial style without having to be like, you know, like hand, regimented. Yeah, hand holding as far as like, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to punch in for the reactions. It's like, yeah, of course, because that feels right. Um, it's much, it's, it, it comes like much more organically, I think. Look, obviously, no one works on this crazy schedule, so it changes everything. But a lot of editors don't even read the script, or they'll read the script once when they get the project, but they don't look at it again. They kind of look at the footage, right? Because it's like the yeah. footage sometimes has 
very little to do with the script. Sometimes it has a lot to do with the script, right? And I, I'm assuming, even though you're working with these hilarious people, you probably don't improvise that much. It depends. It really depends on the piece. It depends on the host and like how much time there is. Uh, it depends on the writers a lot. Because mm-hmm. usually it's less improv and more of, all right, uh, you know, here's the line. Let's do that. And then writers be like, okay, now how about how about this? How about mm-hmm. this? How about this? Right. So like, like alting. Yeah, yeah, so ton, oh. tons of alts. So are you choosing which alt to go with? Initially, yeah. And then the, the nice thing, again, about this, the nice uh, kind of paradox about like not enough time is if something usually works, we're like, great, cool. Right. Next, right. next, next, next. Um, do you look at the script supervisor's notes or do you not really have time to do that? Not really. And she's great and, and it works really right. well, but if I'm, if you feel like you're missing something, you'll see. If, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm watching everything as quickly as I can. Do you like watch all the footage and pull selects or put markers or yeah, do something um, like this is funny and this is funny and I should try to get this in somehow. Usually what I'll do normally is like a visual watch first, as far as just like, uh, like I was saying before, like having kind of an idea seeing it in my head what I want it to be and then kind of visually scanning and then within that kind of pulling selects based on like, okay, I know I want to be here on like the, the head turn that puts us around to this side. Right, so like right. within that, then I'll kind of like audition things really quick and, and build up that way. Um, what I normally do just in general from, and I, I mean, I recommend this no matter what you're working on is I, I'll try to get, as opposed to like working, you know, start to finish linearly, uh, I'll get something that either as quickly as I can that I know just works and then just start like building out around that mm-hmm. or like, so, so have, building out from the head turn for instance. Yeah. 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 So like yeah. a couple, so moments that to me are just like, Oh, that perform performance is, is perfect. Or like, that's really funny. Mm-hmm. And so, and would that be for action things too? Like this is an awesome, like, punch kick yeah, thing like for, let's work back from that definitely because i think a, a lot of times especially when people are are starting out it's a lot like writing in the sense that usually just like starting is the hardest thing mm-hmm. like getting like the first right. thing down is hard so i try to like simultaneously get stuff down that like i know will work but then also not be too precious about like the first things because I just like to get something that I can then like react to basically because yeah. then you can be like, Oh yeah, this is working great and let's move on. That makes so much sense. Yeah. That's what, you know, Matt Barber, he's an editor friend of ours. that has been on the show a bunch. He's a TV editor also. And he, his philosophy is like the pretty much like the vomit draft. He's yeah, like, I just try to get the first cut done as fast as possible and then start working on it. Yeah. Cause there. then you can like, then you actually have something you're not working in a void. You have something that you can like respond to and, and, and talk about I, at the show too. Cause you have to be kind of like aware of uh, like everyone else's opinions as far as like the writers and the producers. So one of the benefits that I found too, about like getting down those kind of like linchpins that you know are good. If someone comes in and like, cause everyone's running around cause there are, everyone's doing 20 things. So if a producer comes in and he's like, hey, how are we doing? Are we okay? Like, I'll, I'm not going to start from the beginning. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, check this out. So right. here's the thing that works. His mind's at ease. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he'll leave. And then I can, you know, kind of keep going. So much of the show is like, and, and I, editorial or just like working with people in general is understanding like how to maintain a comfortable and like confident vibe especially with this timeline and if you you can tell that like if this if this guy's spinning out of control 
then mm-hmm. they're going to start then yep. they're going to start worrying right and then ideas right. are going to start to sure. kind of be more haphazard as opposed to just like hey we are we're all good it's going to be fine yeah like, do yeah. you ever have a situation where they're like already trying to fix a, something they saw in your edit that's not working before you like have gotten a chance to sometimes it, I, I, mean, I mean oh uh, we're kind of lucky in the sense that the team that i'm with we've, we've been doing it long enough and everyone knows that we're on like the same page as far as we're just all there's no like this is my cut or mm-hmm. you know it's all like we're trying to make you look as good as possible and make your script as good as possible and if it's you know one of the cast members it's all just like how can we take what's already good and just and just and raise it um so yeah we have like a a, a pretty a good amount of trust um and then if you know if they have uh, things it's a discussion and or it's like yeah let's try that what, what I try to do is also if I know the writers or know the people that are, that are on this piece is try to be like uh, as anticipatory as possible mm-hmm. so having something ready to go that like I anticipate okay I, I I know that they like this type of thing I don't think that that's working ideally let's have that ready then let's say hey you know what about this and then try to you know not like push something on someone, but mm-hmm. here's what I know that you're probably thinking about. Right. And but your backups. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or here's this line I cut, you know, I know you really liked it and I felt like it didn't work, but here it is. Like I have that piece edited so you yes. can see and see if you're agreeing or not. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, you know, just keep trying to stay as, as fluid as possible. Basically. Earlier you said that like you think audio is more than 50% of the final product. Definitely. Right. Yeah. So when you are starting to cut the scene together, what audio do you have in the timeline? I'm I'm very uh, I don't know if, if weird is right, but but the the kind of the process that I do when I'm working at the show is different from when I'm working on like a, a normal TV show or, or a feature. I'm I'm really kind of building out fully as I'm going, um, as opposed mm-hmm. to like if I'm working on uh, episodic or something, uh, I won't be you know pulling as many specific sound effects or like, you know, actually like put foleying in footsteps or stuff like that. Like as I go, I know, okay, once the cuts here and like everyone's happy with pick lock, then we'll go back and then we'll do that. But there's, isn't as much time for like sort of separate steps. So my first assembly, I try to make a, like the first assembly should feel like pretty much done. Right. Like there's no, if there's a gunshot, you hear the gunshot, right? If there's somebody kicks someone you, or punches someone, you add like a punch sound effect. Yeah. I I, I I want your, your, um, speaking tour to be a hit for that specific reason. Like I just, it drives me insane when editors don't want to put in sound effects. Yeah. Especially when it sells a joke or makes something feel incomplete. That's the main thing I don't understand is like, you're doing yourself a disservice a lot of times. And you see the joke go away. You see people being like, well, this isn't going to work. And then you, you know, you you make more work for yourself. I learned early on, like at SNL or just in general, when, you know, you'd get the questions like, so, um, like that that green screen we're gonna (laughs) like we're we're gonna get rid of that right you're like yeah yeah that won't be there but if before we even get to the point if i could like do a like a pretty solid composite Mm -hmm. that might not necessarily be final but is good enough where like they won't be thinking about that we can actually focus on like the bigger picture about like 
is this is this working? Is right. this funny? And and then, green screen's a huge one because I do VFX a lot too, and it's like people never edit with like they'll be like, oh, this in this shot, this person turns around and looks at something on a green screen. And because there's nothing on the green screen, they'll leave like two seconds for that shot. Right. Which is very easy to process when it's on a green screen, but very difficult to process when it's like right. on a giant explosion in right. the background or whatever. Yeah. And so I feel like, yeah, I'm just like Matt. It's like editors that don't have like the sound effects of the story or the rhythm in there when they're showing even like an assembly cut. I'm like, I, I can't watch this. I, you're asking me if this works, but I don't know because right. there's no gunshot. There's no footstep. This door sounds like plastic. It should sound like metal. You know, yeah, you, you're, it's throwing me off. And, it, and I know why, but I can't tell you. And sometimes you don't know good. why, right? Like that's the other thing is that so much of it is subliminal that you'll see smart people not like something because something trips and they don't have the vocabulary or the technical expertise to necessarily yes. pinpoint it. Yeah, that can, I feel like that can go both ways sometimes. Depending on like, I wouldn't say like prefer is the wrong word, but it's great to, uh, I love working with someone who either knows like, this is exactly what mm-hmm. I want. Sure. And then I'm like, okay, we'll yeah. get it there. Or someone who's like, I'm not sure, but I want to see like, bring, bring me what you think is the best thing. Mm-hmm. It's when it gets into that kind of middle ground of like, um, I th- like it's, I don't know. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Can you play with it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Could it be like more fun? Like that doesn't mean yeah. anything, right. you know. Like you say, well, okay, let's talk about that. Does the should it be? Do you feel like there's not enough pace? Right. Like that's something I can react right, to. Right. Energy or even yeah. yeah. Yeah, but when it's like you know, ah, it just feels off. That's mm-hmm. that's a hard it's note because yeah. you can't. Really, <laughs> I don't know. I can like we can try like, a bunch of different things. Sure. Yeah, we've got a dartboard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So where were we? We talked about kind of, the, oh, that being ed- editing, fully editing right. as you're going along. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's yeah, like, so. yeah. If people get one thing from our podcast ever, it's to do that. I guess. Yeah. Part of me is like, yes, do that. And the other part of me is like, don't do that. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I go back and forth. It's hard for me to not work that way now just because mm-hmm. like that's, that's kind of what becomes the default. But part of me misses a world where... Uh, there is like much more true delineations between like picture editing, uh, mm-hmm. sound design, uh, m- music editorial with like a real music soup and like score. Sure. Cause a lot of times you get, and I, I, I go back and forth in this, like in my own head, um, you know, when you're like temping something in and, and you just get, you hear it a hundred million times. And so to you, it works now, but it might, but it might not. That's the right. thing. And then right. if someone changes, tries to change it, you're like, you're like eh, oh, I really like the temp better. Right. Yeah. Temp love is like, is very, is dangerous. Yeah. Have you um, seen that, uh, every frame of painting video? The, was it the Marvel symphonic universe? Yeah. The one? Tony, Tony's hour. Yeah. 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 Basically about how, why, he kind of the premise is hum like any any music from any marvel movie right and the only thing anyone can come up with is like spider-man and then they're like oh harry potter or star wars or whatever and everyone immediately singing i remember talking to someone about about similar thing for like kind of action or like especially like espionage movies it's like what (laughs) happens is you'll normally work with the soundtrack of a movie that's already come out sure Right. So, you know, you're working on a thing that's like a, like a Bourne-esque movie. So you use, you know, like the Bourne Supremacy soundtrack. And then you have an actual composer who's very talented. And you're like, make it sound like this. And then so everything sure. sounds everything sounds the same. As opposed to like, 
here is a clean, here's a clean film. Right. What do you think this should sound Go like? It. Go to town. Well, like. in that video, they bring up, there was a lawsuit because, you know, someone had basically fallen in love so much with temp score. It was like Zack Snyder had fallen in love with something for like 300 yeah, or something. That they right. ended up Shocking. basically <laughs> ripping that composer off and lost a lawsuit against them. Yeah. Oh, good. He's yeah. like, you copied my music. <laughs> right. And they're like, well, yeah, we copied it. We didn't use it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess to me, like sound effects are probably not going to ruin that. But music often does. And yeah. a lot of times when I'm editing something, I'm not loving the performance or I'm not not quite feeling right to me. Sometimes I do like put some temp music in there because I'm like, ah, okay, now it's not oh, awkward yeah. anymore. Right. Yeah. But then I, I feel like I've lost, like I'm, I'm no longer editing the performance or making the picture work i'm editing to the beat of this music Yeah, it becomes you know? a very slow music video basically yeah. yeah i think there's also a problem with when it comes to sound design especially on lower budget things mm-hmm. the, it, or a thing where you maybe don't get to supervise the post as much as you'd like from a director's side where if i don't put it into a locked cut yeah i'm not i can't guarantee that it's gonna end up in the thing yep and so, like, so so many producers are like, oh, yeah, we sent it to sound. And what they mean is they sent it to, to a mixer. Mix. Yes. Yeah. And I don't get a real sound design pass. Yeah. The difference between, like, a full, like, real deal sound design. Sure. For, like, a, yeah. like a feature and then working, like, on a stage. And even, like, if you're good at, at what you're doing, like, in your offline cut is so <laughs> astronomical. Like that's, I think that's the, the, the thing to me, like when, when, when I say that, like, it's more important, like you can take something where that's, hasn't been color corrected and you're like, wow, that is so much better, but it still feels kind of like the same thing Mm -hmm. or like, that's not the same thing, but you know, it just feels like a better version of the same thing. And I remember like some scenes where on, on like the features that I've worked on some scenes you like that you weren't sure if they were you're like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And then you go into like, like the real final mix where they've been, you know, doing just like dialogue editorial and cleaning everything and loop groups and it comes in. You're like, holy shit, that works so well. And it, not, not that it saved it, but like you didn't even know that that right, like right. was possible. Basically. It's amazing. Yeah. My first experience with that is I did, I did a feature. My first feature there's like this one guy that was like the one-stop shop. He did the ADR, he did the loop group, he did the sound design, he did the mix, he did everything. And it was fine, you know, but he just, he only had so much time to devote to each thing and so much expertise. Like he brought right. in this one guy that did like crowd sounds for him, but mm-hmm. everything else aside from the music he did. Yeah. Um, and so my the next movie I did, we went to like a real sound house. And they had like a Foley person. They had a dialogue editor. They had all, and they had a person who was a sound designer who was not the person that was putting in sound effects. You know, right? He wasn't doing yeah footsteps or door slams or anything. Um, And I didn't even quite know. I was like, oh, what does the sound designer do? And I didn't realize that there was like this whole job of like the person that does those subsonic hits, the tension, the Mm -hmm. just like adding atmosphere to your movie or something. It it was like a thriller too. So it like made so much of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's incredible. Understanding like how to carve out like 
carve out within the within the EQ, like where music actually lands in your ear. Like mm-hmm. that's one of those things where even like I don't want to learn how to do that because then it would just be all consuming it just there's exactly like that's why that that when i'm talking about like delineation and like i think this is just a broader kind of you know idea of just where things are at now it's so it's awesome that people can be like one man bands it's it's great i don't think that it like should be the default though (laughs) sure at all like if you have someone who does like so i'm a i'm a colorist mixer blah blah blah. it's like i'd rather go with the dude who does nothing but color yeah that's it. That is all they do because that's, they're always going to be better. And like the guy who does nothing, but like you're saying like ambiences, those are always going to be better. Right. Cause they're the ones that are going to get tired of that. Like those 80 sound effects, you know, that they yeah. always use and go, uh, you know, yeah, 10% me, further. That makes a big difference. Give you something fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, we've already been talking for quite a while. <laughs> um, but I really want to just for a minute, talk about like comedy and editing and like, this is a very vague open-ended question, but any kind of editing strategies or rules of like general rules or anything that or you apply to comedy of a, of a tip or a trick, right? Yeah. Well, or a philosophy or, or you could say I edit comedy exactly how I said edit drama, you know, which I have heard a lot of actors say that about comedy um, a bit. I mean, but you know, we, I guess we've heard, right. Everyone yeah. talks about the wide shot, right? Uh, yeah. Comedy plays well in a wide, wide shot, I guess. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, tell I, us now. I well, mean, I think I think a lot of I'm I'm not a fan of like traditional, you know, overlits uh, where you can feel the fact that this was improved and then kind of mm-hmm. not that it's not funny. I, that's just not I, less my aesthetic. I, I prefer things that are like done like drama or done like mm-hmm. action that just happen to be funny. Have I asked you if you did the um, Ryan Gosling Santa? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a perfect God, example. I, I love that sketch so yeah. much. Like, Did you c- cut that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, I love it. Thanks, man. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, there's kind of like that Key and Peele school of thought versus the like I, right. Judd Apatow, yeah. 40-year-old yeah. virgin. I, right? I defer or default much more to the, the Pete Atencio, uh, Key and Peele style of things. Do it real. Do it just yeah. like real as shit. And that will make like the, like the contrast between the humor, like in my opinion, funnier. Like... Uh, as far as like action comedy, like Edgar Wright, nothing about that is shot like a comedy. Those are like sure. all, those are shot like, like. Right. But would you say the way he enter, like has a person enter a frame or an object enter a frame is funny? Fully. Right? A vis- visual comedy as opposed to just like, I get to that. That's, you know, more of a director versus like a writer based uh, sort of mm-hmm. style. I prefer that personally. And then if you can have great writing within that framework, sure. uh, that's ideal. But yeah, but like that Santa baby piece, for example, like that's just dark as hell. Like there's, that's nothing about that. Like looks like, sure. Well, do you ever have problems where you do cut a piece like that and it's not funny? People are like, wow, this is really cool, but it's not making me LOL. Sometimes. And then you have to have like the conversation of like, well, maybe it's just not that type of piece. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I think the main trick with people looking for a shortcut to, cutting comedy is uh work with funny people <laughs> uh, fully that is a good trick you could have a perfect cut and if the, the person who's on screen isn't funny it's not going to be funny but you don't believe in any like rules of three or any anything of that nature i feel like it's so contextual to the moment uh as far as like if something's working or not it's so it's hard to i could talk you know specifically about like 
like usually all I'm looking at now is people's eyes and, Mm -hmm. and where they're moving as far as like motivating cuts and, you know, like understanding like how long after a blink feels like weird. Sure. Um, in the blink of an eye, right? It's, it's so cliched, but like the more you do it, the more you realize like just how like you can motivate any cut by based on like someone going like that. Some, I can't see that Mo- on the podcast. Someone, moving their eyes, someone moving their eyes. eyes to the side and then you think. Like, imagine googly eyes being shaken right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so before we started recording, we had mentioned that a previous guest on the podcast who does mostly comedy work is averse to like L cuts and J cuts. He right. prefers straight cuts because he feels that for comedy, they tend to work better. And you, you, I would, I would, it's not that I disagree entirely. I just think that as a hard, fast rule is silly because then you have, um, there's, there's no, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Versatility. Variance. No, it's, it's, it's the variance that then allows like actual hard cuts to like, Oh, have impact to have impact. Like the, like the contrast between the con yes, the the contrast basically. So if you have something where you know that like, again, if you're looking at a script and you're like, this is the joke, this is like a hard moment. If everything leading up to that is sharp, 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 sharp. And then you get to that point and it's sharp. Mm -hmm. Then there's, there's no disparity like between those two things. So I, I personally, again, it's all contextual based on, on the performance and, and the script. But like, for me, if you know that something is going to be like a hard hit there, it's the difference between the stuff leading up to it that like allows that to hit that much harder. Um, but if everything's like that, it becomes like predictable, I guess. Has anyone ever done like a mini documentary on your process from getting the script to airing your piece on me specifically or did either you or an editor on snl not not editorially we've done uh so oz who i work with he produces uh like a kind of behind the scenes thing at snl called um uh, making snl that's on youtube it's great emmy nominated too um and it shows like the process of all the different departments but there hasn't been like a film unit uh, one yet because we don't want to like shoot ourselves shoot ourselves basically right just like pointing into a mirror you think yeah, lauren yeah. would be cool with something like that oh yeah they've we've done like uh hair mm-hmm. makeup um the highly recommend it too if you want to see just how madness it is um you should check out the music one and the the control room as far as they're working mm-hmm. against like the running clock it's it's unbelievable and it's called making snl on yep. youtube mm-hmm oh cool and what didn't franco do a documentary on yeah yeah, yeah. It, was, it was fine are you in it uh, no, that was like right before I started when he yeah. shot. That was 2008. You missed out on Malkovich. Bummer. I know. Um, well, so let me ask, in terms of context, this will, this will be my final question. Sure. What, um, do you have a favorite um, sketch that you cut or a favorite aha moment? Um, I don't know. There, because there's there've been so many and they're so different. It, it, was there a moment that clicked for you or like, oh, now I know how to edit for SNL? I feel like I'm truly like still figuring it out every yeah, time. Sure. Um, it, it really kind of changed when um, my buddy Reese, who was the film producer when I first started, the director when I came in was this uh, legendary dude named uh, Jim Signorelli, who had been there since the show started. Um, and then Reese, who is his producer, and we're the exact same age and just have like a very similar mentality. When, when Jim moved on and Reese kind of filled his position and then it was kind of like our team and then our our mentality was this shouldn't look or feel like parody 
mm-hmm. like all the old great mm-hmm. commercials, which are great. That you could still like kind of see like sure. the wink to right, it. And we're like, right. if this is a trailer, this should feel exactly like a trailer. If this is like a short film, let's just do like a real short film. Well, were um, you guys inspired by Lonely Island and? Um, oh, fully. I mean, they're and... YouTube. A should give them a billion dollars, and I think they have been actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're and, doing okay. Yeah, um, uh, of course, and and just like what them showing the show that this is such a viable and important thing to be doing and like to, to putting these time and these resources into, into the film pieces. Um, yeah, I mean, that's like all, all credit to those dudes. Um, but yeah, but I'd also say, that like the digital audiences are smart, right? Yeah. That you don't have to make dumb vlogs for them. right? Fully, fully. And, and as far as what you said before, as far as like a, a favorite piece, my favorite piece is probably, uh, the one that we did uh, was the season finale episode that Fred Armisen hosted um, it was the Fair- farewell Mr. Bunting it was called and it was like a play on like the f- famous scene from Dead Poets Society mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it I don't want to give it away but it was it was the season finale episode uh, last piece that because Reese then moved to LA and Alex is already in LA so last piece of like that that team was working on uh, like we finished it like smooth and early went down on the floor. So like standing there mm-hmm. kind of watching it and it got like without question, like the biggest laugh that like I've ever heard like in a live audience. So it was just, yeah, that yeah. was, that was that's your, feeling. that's your moment. And that's like, I wouldn't change. Usually I, I go back and like, we look at like pieces like every once in a while, I'd be like, ah, yeah, I wish we had more time or mm-hmm. done that differently. Like I wouldn't change like a frame about that thing. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that was fun. Well, Adam, oh, cool. I, I think we could talk to you for another six hours. <laughs> Can I ask you about one very specific thing? <laughs> sure, or, man. Or is determined to try. I have, hey, I, I live in New York. I have nowhere I need to be tonight. <laughs> this is just such a random, ultra-specific question that has no bearing on anything, really. But when you put text on screen, like a graphic or a mm-hmm. headline, like, do you have a general rule of how long you put it on screen to make sure people can read it? Mm, I think it just depends on, on what it is how long it is. I kind of like read it to myself and then give like a little bit longer, I guess is what it comes to, <laughs> what it comes down to. Okay. I had a friend that worked in TV that said, he's like, the rule is you got to be able to read it twice. Oh, huh. I, I thought it was three times. Oh, well, so I don't know. There but, you go. What is another? Yeah. You yeah. see people like, like kind of newer editors, like putting text on the screen, not, not long, long enough. Yes. Um, like they're worried more about the pace of the edit than the mm-hmm. legibility of, yeah text. i mean i feel like in in our pieces it's rare that there's like anything that's more than just you know a big word that mm-hmm. you pick up pretty right. instantly right. or you might have a title with a subheading or something right? yeah yeah um i don't know no no hard rule on that one okay no hard rules Adam <laughs> sorry no uh, but this is this has been really great yeah i like i want to i want to just like sit in your office and watch you <laughs> edit together a whole Sure. Or, Oren will come back after a week of watching you edit and he'd be like, he's got 16 different rules he doesn't know he follows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably, truthfully. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't, uh, I guess I, there's less self-examination uh, about the process in the moment. Sure. Um, I love watching people edit. I just, you know, edit and did this thing at the Ellen show, you know, that, that worked with an editor there that, did you work with Austin? I think so. Um, but, you know, they cut in Avid and so it's a lot of like setting like cutting footage and then ripple deleting like you know yeah just 
just a totally different way of thinking of moving the timeline. Yeah. I've been, I've been an avid for the last like four and a half months on this show and it, yeah, it was interesting kind of the, like the mental reset kind of, you know, kind of going back and forth. And then it changes sometimes to me, at least like doing something in a certain way forces you to think of how a cut is going to work in a different way. Right. Yeah. You're thinking about the out point versus the in point and like, right. uh, How the audio is going to move with this or not. like I don't know. That's why I love watching different editors edit. Yeah, personally. that yeah, the ripple ripple trimming and Avid is a whole a whole dark science unto itself. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for talking to us. Yeah. What's, um, how long are you going to be at SNL? Do we know? Um, well, I wasn't planning on coming back uh, this year initially because we were going to be moving to Los Angeles, but uh, we're expecting baby number one, so we're going to be in New York now for pretty much like the run of the season. So. Hey, number one yeah. yeah usually the one most people start with <laughs> um cool thanks man uh well yeah should uh let's hop into unpaid endorsements oh yes Woo-hoo. unpaid endorsements so mine actually is inspired by this conversation do you guys know the podcast decoder ring no oh i've heard of it is that a gimlet one uh it's either gimlet or slate i think it's slate actually okay and it's kind of just a deep dive on a piece of urban legend or just uh, American culture. Um, there's a specific episode about the laugh track <laughs> that is incredible um, that I totally recommend. We'll link to it on the show notes. But um, it talks about the evolution of why we have the, the laugh track and then the thing that they invented to actually p- put laugh tracks in to TV shows. So back in the day, one guy literally like went and recorded all these different types of laughs and like put them on this kind of crazy reel to reel machine that he would play like an organ. So a producer would be like, Hey, can you give me a little more like titter in this one? And like, this is a bigger laugh here. And he would like literally pull right. levers. All the guys and stuff. are laughing now. Yeah. All yeah. The girls are exactly. Laughing now. And I give me a that. woo. It's incredible. That's right. I, that the movie I did that the guy brought in a crowd person. Yeah. He had, it was like a drum machine. And it mm-hmm. was like, he would just watch the sporting event as we edited it. And, and just kind of like, almost like, like Now falling. the other teams when yeah. you're like, there's a reverse, like, oh, yeah. 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 Now, like tension yeah, in yeah. the room. That's and he, so cool. his kind of day job was he did that for American Idol or The Voice or like one of those shows. And I was like, Ooh, wait, what? wait a minute. That's I, a live audience. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. what I thought. And he's like, well, we call it digital spackle. We kind of just like <laughs> make sure it never like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. no one sticks out that it's just kind of smooths the entire crowd but he records every night also that's amazing so he's like picking so he's things got, up and he's yeah. building his library so he's the superhuman version of the man who originally started building out yeah i'm sure that guy i think it's a whole thing i'm sure yeah. that guy like started it yeah so um decodering is the podcast and i'll post this specific episode about laugh tracks in the show notes that is so cool wow yeah I was stoked when I thought of it, you guys. <laughs> Adam, you got anything? Yeah, nothing uh, specific to, to film, unfortunately. But I've been listening to the first few uh, Brian Eno solo albums over and over and over again mm-hmm. for like the last four months. Um, and they are so outlandishly good uh, and kind of under the radar. Most people, they you know, know Eno now as like more of like an ambient... Uh, kind of like soundscape dude, mm-hmm. and that's all wonderful. Yeah, that's what I think of. Yeah, yeah. I like to listen to him in airports. Exactly, like, me, because yeah, I'm literal. Airports, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, his first three albums, like right after he left Roxy Music, are like this, just kind of glam pop rock. That is, they're just such incredible records. 
Um, and I just am deeply obsessed with them and have them playing. And basically, like, every song I want to use at some point, like, mm-hmm. I, 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 like, see scenes that, like, okay, I, I, the scene doesn't exist, but this song would be perfect for this type of scene. Mm-hmm. Like, just from top to bottom, every song on the album. Um, so I can't recommend them highly enough. It's uh, first album's uh, Here Come the Warm Jets, and second album is uh, Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, and the third album is uh, Another Green World. And they're just really, really good. They're on Spotify. Check them out. Because Brian Eno needs your support. <laughs> <laughs> he needs your fractions of a cent. <laughs> yeah. Um, something I did recently is I wanted to watch a bunch of movies. Uh, on I, I wanted to have like a list of movies to watch that I know I can watch on like one of the services I subscribe to. Because a lot of times my wife and I will be like 9 p.m. And we'll be like, what should we watch? And we just we just end up watching Queer Eye because it's like, you don't need to pay attention you can just have it on the background or whatever. And you love to cry. And I love to cry. The, so the other day I went and I like, you know, Googled, what are the best movies on HBO? What are the best movies on Netflix, Amazon Prime and Hulu? And so I made myself a list of whatever is just like out right now. Right. And my wife was in New Mexico for the last three days. Um, and I was just here with my two-year-old daughter who sleeps at night. And so I just like watched a bunch of movies, um, for free on you know these various services so the last two i watched were a ghost story and the witch nice Uh, so ghost story augustine frizzell who was on our podcast she's in it actually oh cool uh but it is like have you guys seen that movie Mm -hmm. it's great bed sheets yeah (laughs) it is painfully slow Mm -hmm. um i really liked the ending but there's this, there's literally like a seven minute scene that's one shot without any camera moves of Rooney Mara eating a pie, um, yeah. like an entire pie. What's weird? That's the only thing I know about that movie. <laughs> that is literally the first time she's ever eaten a pie. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm not fucking with you guys. Yes, she's like I don't eat gluten and blah 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 blah. And you know, like like a crazy rich person. And so that was. <laughs> I mean, the, the word the word hero gets thrown around a lot, but. You know. Um, That's what happens when your family owns two football teams. Sure, there you yeah. Go. yeah. yeah. You just don't get to eat pie growing fun, up. Fun <laughs> kind of weird tech thing about that movie. I don't know if you like read up on it at all. So pretty much every scene where uh, the ghost is in it is a composite. Oh, cool. Shot practically, but just like a very simple, you know, uh, mass composite. Or mass composite. Because they shot all of the ghost stuff, not at, not it's not at like a forty eight, but I think at like thirty six. Mm-hmm. So just every a shot, little shimmer, yes, yeah, so yeah, just yeah. a little bit oh, slower. So like anytime you see the sheet, it's it's a split screen composite. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did think because the compositions are a little split screeny. Yeah. I mean, it's beautifully shot. It's like a really well shot movie, and everything makes perfect sense. But the ghost is. Sometimes you don't even notice that he's standing there until like a few seconds into the shot because he's so still. Yeah. Um, but his, yeah, his sheet is just moving a little bit. Uh, anyway, it's good. The other good, I saw that watch the Hannah Gatsby special on Netflix, which was awesome. Um, anything else that I saw? Well, I don't know. Have you guys seen the witch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a 24, they should, uh, they should start making successful movies. I sure. Mean, yeah. Way to go guys. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I really like that one. And I'm working on this totally unrelated like comedy thing about the Salem Witch Trials. Um, so I've just been researching the Salem Witch Trials a lot. And the witch is basically scene for scene. Like every single thing that happens in that movie is like out of the Wikipedia entry of for the Salem Witch Trials. Um, so I, I thought it was like 
interesting. I've been thinking a lot about like original screenwriting versus adaptations and mm-hmm. um, and just seeing. So, so that's like an original screenplay, but it's like right. literally but adapted so from this research. Yeah. Right. story from history, but it's just like kind of all rearranged yeah. and used in unexpected ways. So They also only... Uh, they shot all of that movie with practical light, except for a few interiors. With light. yeah, I read that and I do not believe it. You don't believe I, it. There's a few shots at night where there's like so obviously like a moonlight like mm. device, like a helium globe or huge HMI or something. I right. mean, unless it's like I the brightest that. moon. Yeah, yeah, in the sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a very simple solution. It's just like they're witches and they sure. can do yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. they're right. magical beings. Yeah, um, they but, live deliciously. Well, both those movies, The Ghost Story and um, The Witch. Uh, we're on Amazon Prime, which uh, you should check. Most of the movies, like my biggest section is movies on Amazon Prime, which Amazon I know a lot Prime of people don't best. even think yeah. about for movies. Um, so can we, are you on social media anywhere? Uh, yeah. Um, on Twitter at, uh, at E-P-P-Y-A-D, Epiad. Cool. And is it true that you will follow anyone that follows you back back? N- no, no, <laughs> not really. Uh, if apologies, no apologies in advance for just the uh, intense uh, left-wing uh, anti-Trump uh, Twitter page, but such is the world right now, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen a few of those. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I I wish it wasn't the case. Um, and uh, that website is uh, adam-epstein.com. And uh, Ooh, dash. Yeah. Pretty technical. Yeah. There's a, a, a meteorologist named Adam Epstein that snagged it before I did. Yeah. yeah. I think I, uh, there was about seven Adam Epsteins in my bar mitzvah. <laughs> so. Yeah. If you guys have anything to say about Adam's interview or want to give us any feedback or comments or questions, please email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on any social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, MySpace. We're at justshootitpod. Uh, I'm at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Madenlo. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Our producer is Madeline Reswat, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you're listening to right now is provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye.